Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Hover, Fracture, and Eero. Whoa. I'm Simone de Rochefort. Yeah, whoa. Yay. Video producer at Polygon.com. And I'm joined today by Brianna Wu, Democratic Woo. candidate for Congress. Woo, indeed. And Christina Warren, a senior cloud developer advocate at Microsoft. What's up? Hello. What's up? Okay. I'm so it is again. so hot here right now. Um, I I like am sweltering. It's like it's like it's like 90 degrees right now. Ugh. I am so sorry. I mean, it's also 90 in Boston. I actually I paid an electrician over a thousand dollars to like wire the upstairs of my house so I could add two more air conditioners to this floor oh because God. that's how bad it is. It See, is ridiculous. we have one air conditioner in the entire apartment because we can only, there are only like, I I could put, right. Well, I could put one in my office. I technically, I guess have like a, a plug for it or whatever. Um, but a, that would require cleaning my office and B that would require money for something that it just, it doesn't get hot enough during the year, but it is so hot right now, guys. Like it is. I'm so sorry. That's so, so bizarre. It's like a cool 75 in New York. I <sighs> know. I know. Also, what was bizarre, so it was raining in New York all weekend, which mm-hmm. was fine because the Taylor Swift concert was still amazing in the rain. Um, and I get back to Seattle and it's like beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, really? Why is this happening to you? Why did you turn the world upside down? Uh, something like that. Who else is turning the world upside down? Kevin on Twitter. We wanted to do a shout out uh, to Kevin, Baron Von Klack, who has really cool plaques for like a ton of relay shows. Uh, Fracture, actually. This is literally perfect. They're Fracture Prince. (laughs) (laughs) Should have saved it for the ad read, but I'm doing it now. Um, Prince of like Rocket ATP analog, um, the the logos for those on his wall, and they're really nice looking. That's right. I that's so cool to think our podcast artwork could be hanging up in his his like house. That's awesome. But I have a problem with this, Simone. I have a really big <sighs> problem me. with this because Max Temkin, you know, enemy of yes. the show. I think we could say the the enemy guy, of the, the show, enemy of the show, CEO of Cards Against Humanity, all of that. <laughs> he responded. So Kevin has one of his podcasts there, which we're not going to name because they're a competitor. Uh, it's Have This Done by Friday, and and he wanted Kevin to go get uh, his podcast art printed twice as big. And this is what I have to say to you, Max Temkin: You will not beat Rocket. You will never beat Rocket. (laughs) So we are going to send you a double-sized print of the Rocket Fracture to your house. Christina, Simone, and I, we're all going to sign it digitally before it gets printed. Uh, So DM me after the show. We'll get that over to you. And then I want a picture of it. And please put it next to Max Temkin's podcast Mm -hmm. just so we can see it properly in context next to each other. Yeah, see, Max wants you to buy your own double big plaque we are offering it is a gift a gift just like we are i realized <laughs> that all of your beautiful uh pictures are perfectly aligned and like in two neat rows and they look like they've been hung with a level 
but we don't care about that. What we <laughs> no, what we no, really care we about is the rocket yes. one being yeah, very give large. Give me the distance from top to bottom, and we'll work something out. Like maybe it'll be like the squares for. Remember Microsoft Metro back when they had that yeah. interface? Oh yeah, the artist, like well, the artist formerly known as Metro is, is what I used to call it because <laughs> they called it Metro, and then they they changed the design language. They, they called it something else, and so I I started calling it the artist formerly known as Metro <laughs> in uh, in all of my articles about it. Um, I think it only amused me and now it amuses those of you listening uh, at home. But no, yeah, but the thing is, if we yeah. do it double-sized, mm-hmm. then that means that you could fit four of them in one of uh, one of ours. So yeah. there would still be a way to align it correctly. It just will take some work. But, you can but make Kevin, a flag. Yeah, Kevin, we believe in you. And yeah. And apparently you f- believe in us. So thank you so much. Thank you Very so cool. much. Crush Max Temkin. That's my message. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into some tech stuff. Oh God, Simone, how many like gates can one laptop have? I oh my gosh. don't know. <laughs> So you're all very lucky listeners this week because usually what happens is that we talk about the news on Rocket and then the podcast goes up Thursday. But then the news is Mm -hmm. updated because the week keeps happening. This last week we talked about the MacBook Pro and immediately after that there was this whole deal about the thermal throttling that it went through. So YouTuber Dave Lee posted a video basically showing that under duress, and it is a pro laptop, uh, the speeds of the processor on the i9 laptop are just massively throttled to the point where he put it in a fridge to make it run at normal speeds. It wasn't just like normal thermal throttling that, no, that happens. No, this was like above it was and excessive, beyond. excessive. <laughs> like, I think and, point and- of parity is the the words that were used in a... The motherboard article, I believe. Yeah, I uh, think so. I think um, like a hundred articles. There were so many articles. There were so many YouTube videos. And then what was interesting too was is that according to some tests, and this is where it was really bad, it didn't perform as well as the previous like generations i7, even though this is a, a six core i9. And so that's when because you expect throttling. Um, it's mm-hmm. just a reality of of um, laptops. Now you can debate. Uh, as, as motherboard did, and we'll talk about that in a bit about you know whether our um, I, I guess quest for thin and light laptops has led to you know uh, what what is the the performance trade off you're willing to accept. That's that's fine if you're going to have a thin and light laptop, you're you're going to have throttling. But this was just like to another level absurd. Um, yes, and then the twist. Apple contacted uh, Lee after this demonstration happened and other YouTubers also found the same problem. So Apple contacted David Lee or Dave Lee and worked with him to figure stuff out. Turns out it was not a hardware problem, but a software problem that affected the thermal management of the computer. And they have since issued a patch to fix it in what is possibly the fastest turnaround of anything yeah. in Apple yeah, history. Have, yeah, no, I have a couple comments on this. One, as I said on Twitter, and like I, 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 I was being sarcastic free because I'd been previously accused of being serious when I commented that my uh, 2017 MacBook Pro was having the keyboard problems and that I was excited about going to the Apple store and someone <laughs> took that seriously. Um, <sighs> I, I, I'm sure it had nothing oh. to do with the fact that I'm a woman at all. Um, yeah, of no. course it, it, Sure, sure, it was completely unrelated. Um, but but I genuinely was very, very impressed with how quickly Apple responded to the problem, how quickly 
um, they issued the patch and uh, their statement. And um, and I part of me almost wonders, and if this is a change in kind of nature, because usually what happens is the outrage machine starts on, or historically how it's happened is it's kind of started on blogs or, or, or podcasts or from like known kind of Apple people. And in this case, it was driven, um, I'm going to say it entirely by YouTube. Like YouTube is, yeah. I mean, everybody else yeah. followed it, but it was all YouTube. Yep. And, and, um, and, and these YouTubers, cause it's interesting. I've gotten kind of into the, the, the YouTube, Apple and, uh, you know, tech kind of channels. They are not associated in most ways. There's, there's not a ton of overlap between the people who are really big on YouTube and the people who are really Really big on Twitter and the people who are historically have had big blogs and have been known in other parts of the community. And, um, uh, w- which is fine. It just shows that like, you know, th- there's just like kind of a new guard, so to speak, even though many of these people have been using stuff for a long time. And so I don't know, I- I'm curious to ask you guys, I-, I think that the fact that this became so big because of YouTube, everyone wrote about it. There were so many videos, but also the YouTube videos were getting just, just ridiculous amounts of views. Um, I think that that played a big role in, in um, Apple, you know, maybe reaching out and, and taking the the stuff seriously more than oh, say yeah. a blog post would have. I, I don't know if a blog post would have so the same impact. In another situation where it might be like a, a John Gruber or, or someone writing about this, that that wouldn't have gotten as much attention as these videos. I think a John Gruber would have, but like, I think that if, if, if a, Lee had written a blog post, Mm. I think it would have taken way, 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 way more for it to hit the critical mass needed for Apple to actually reach out. Mm -hmm. Whereas the YouTube video, you know, he put it out and it immediately started going viral. There were a million alternate takes on it. There were a million responses to it. Everyone was trying it Mm -hmm. out. And and because there's this whole kind of cottage YouTube industry right now where people will buy the latest, you know, tech things using money from their channels and then running them through paces and then do all kinds of, you know, um, not sanctioned upgrades and stuff like that. And so it, it, I don't know. I, I just feel like I, maybe I'm wrong here, but I, I kind of feel like the, the, the medium that this was done on played a big role mm-hmm. in A, helping it maybe blow up past the point that we would have seen in other things, but B... In and in Apple actively reaching out as early as they did, and, and I think having what was a very very good response, which was to to um, to uh, you know work with with him, figure out that there was uh, something wrong with the firmware, and and issue a patch almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would give Apple an A for this. And let's be honest, like Dave Lee's video on this was of a superb quality. Well, yeah, uh, no, he's a professional uh, video person. Yeah, yeah, totally. He's really Well, no, I mean the the technical analysis. Yeah, I, totally. I do want to like take a second and like go through his actual troubleshooting process because I think it speaks to some larger issues that we have in the industry. Um, So basically what they did, the initial videos with this, they took Premiere, uh, basically Premiere, they got some 5K exports going and they threw it at uh, the machine and obviously had a really big uh, slowdown with this. I think like this is a good time on Rocket to take a moment and just um, realize that synthetic benchmarks are an innately um i don't know if i want to say flawed but it's it's really hard to get a concrete picture of how a machine is going to be in real life from Mm -hmm. synthetic benchmarks um you know if you're using premiere premiere is going to run entirely different than final cut is going to you know it's integrated into the hardware better 
Um, and you know what they found is uh, other YouTubers kept going through you know, these exercises, like you said, Christina. Is it really mattered how they tested the machine as far as results that they got? So I think it's worth saying, like. Um, I thought the initial video was very well done, and I thought the follow-up videos were very well done. But I, I couldn't like the instant I saw that first test that they were like getting up in arms about. I'm like, that's really a very flawed test. Like nobody would expect Premiere to be optimized for any Apple product a week after it shipped. It's just right. not reasonable. Right. Well, I think I think that, and I think also like there. I mean, there's a lot to be said about you know. How how much or how little Premiere is optimized for for macOS at this point at all? Yeah. Uh, but you're right. You know, I mean, but honestly, kind of for better or worse, sadly, Apple did this to themselves because of mm-hmm. the way the Final Cut 10 was rolled out. If that yep. hadn't been rolled out the way it was, then Premiere and Adobe, you know, Creative Cloud wouldn't have become the dominant tool, which it is now. Period. Um, and um, at this point, it's kind of a weird thing where I would hope that Adobe would want to optimize more. But they're kind of in a position where everybody's already switched them and yeah. is using it. And they don't have a huge amount of incentive to w- have to rewrite their app. You know what I mean? Like, it sucks, but, yeah. but it is what it yeah. is. But you're yeah. right. I mean, it, it, it's you're, you're, but at the same time, synthetic or not, I do feel like if that's the tool you're using and if this is what's happening when you're doing this stuff with it, that that's valid. I think that maybe some of the geek bench and a bench, other those types of things, you know, you can kind of question like the real world, you know, likelihood of this. But when you're starting to see, you know, whether it's been, um, you know, uh, the code has been optimized or not, when you're seeing worse performance um, on a brand new product versus an old one, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. No, no argument there. I'm just saying you have to think through all of these issues. But totally. anyway, this is this is beside um, like the conclusions. Like you said, Christina, Apple came out, they addressed this. It ended up being um, an issue in the power management controller for the, you know, the i9 chip inside of that. And the story of this, I thought was just so really fascinating where you know someone had uh you know basically Apple's internal team had been working with a certain version of the the software for this and the laptop actually shipped with the more generic non-optimized <laughs> version of this which is a pretty big versioning error i mean a i have certainly whoopsie yeah i, yeah. I screwed up version i've i've absolutely like checked things in and i shouldn't have I've checked things out and I shouldn't have, but this was, uh, I, I guess it's like, it's so relatable for anyone that's worked with versioning software before, <laughs> but it's such a, an ungodly mess that like a primetime laptop shipped in this state where you have to literally put it in a freezer to get the speeds it's advertised with. Yeah, we were yeah. trying to figure out before, I think, before Apple talked about it in more detail, like how in the world... <laughs> Did this happen? And I mean, I don't think we'll ever know how it happened. Just it's a mistake. Somebody, I, I think it was uh, someone in Relay Chat was saying someone at Apple just had a really bad day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, I'm it, so it, sorry, man. Yeah, no, it's so weird because, yeah, you you wonder, like, what happened that obviously the inter- – because clearly whatever, like, the marketing teams were using, whatever, you know, was being done um, for, for the benchmarks all had the, mm-hmm. the proper 
um, I guess, you know, build or whatever. Yeah, do you think that, that we can didn't... assume that, like, people who were sent early review units got... Oh, no, they the... weren't. No, no, no. In fact, all the reviewers have had to rerun their benchmarks. Oh, interesting. Okay. So this would be... Yikes. So, so, yeah, so this was something. Yeah, I'm not sure what it was, but this was, this was an interesting kind of, like, huh, like you know, a, a, an error happened to their, to their credit, they, they fixed it. But what actually this was, cause a lot of people were, were kind of trying to kind of figure out and, and had a lot of theories about, you know, what was, what was the, 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 the thermal, um, uh, issues with this. And, um, mm-hmm. basically what was actually kind of interesting was before the, um, official Apple fix come out, came out, uh, a person who goes by the name of random person X, great name <laughs> on Reddit. This Hero. is actually pretty incredible. This person is, is this is actually truly incredible. This uh, guy should work for Apple. Honestly, just to be he honest. Should. Yeah. Uh, honestly, he should. So, so this yeah. was something he posted three days ago. So this was, uh, two days before Apple released the fix. Um, and I'm just going to read it. It says, uh, hello all, TLDR. I found the magical command, which makes my i9 MacBook Pro capable of Cinebench scores of, um, you know, around uh, 1,100 on the first run and 1,000 to 1,100 on each successive run without throttling, even if I run it back to back to back to back. Like many here, I've got the i9 2018 MacBook Pro, and I've also experienced the throttling as others have seen. As you may have read on other threads, the ultimate root cause of the very bad performance drop due to, during the throttling is not thermal throttling of the CPU, but rather power throttling of the VRM, or the voltage regulator module, being unable to satisfy the power desires of the i9 CPU. When the VRM maxes out, otherwise overheats, uh, but this is different from CPU thermal throttling, the motherboard sends a digital um, uh, sends a signal to the CPU to drop its speed um, to minimum 800 megahertz to allow the VRM a chance to cool it down. The CPU then returns um, to its previous desire to pull maximum power, spins up to high turbo speeds, and the cycle repeats itself again. Wow. When the CPU keeps switching from turbo to 800 megahertz, it is a very it is in a very inefficient state so the amount of work being done relative to the amount of power drain drawn decreases says i'm not giving apple a free pass on this and wholeheartedly agree with others that such tuning should not be necessary for users to do but if you're uh, but if you have one of those machines and would like to mitigate the situation you have an option and then what he did is he create he created um, a kernel extension that basically made changes to the voltage um to, to the vrm and and would basically let it um have higher power limits. And he was starting to get really good results. Now, obviously, what he did was release something unofficial and and not good. But what's amazing is how similar his performance from his own homegrown kind of solution was with the the patch that Apple rolled out. And and um his update to that post said um, Apple's update handles this better than my patch for several reasons. It doesn't require you to disable the SIP, which is the, <laughs> right. the system integrity protection. Um, uh, it, it regulates um, power at a higher level, not at the CPU. This means that a combined workload of both CPU and GPU will work much better with Apple's update than it does with his change. And, you know, you don't want to be in a, stuck on a um, wrong version. And then he said, I've done some preliminary testing, and it essentially has the same birth characteristics for purely CPU load as my patch. Um, and um, basically, um, you know, but but the, the end result was that it fixed days it. He basically we knew it. what was going on and yeah, fixed but, it. And fixed it. I mean, and I just, I, I don't know, I felt like that was so incredible. Also, the fact that he 
better than anybody that I read online explained what the actual problem was. Yep. Yep. No, he was, that was absolutely incredible. Like that is, I remember doing some hardcore mods of my machine back in the nineties, but that was just absolutely beyond. So, uh, really impressive stuff. So I guess, you know, the Verge final review of this laptop went into what I think is the really big remaining question with this, where, you know, they're they're talking about the performance of it, how it's an iterative update and the keys are better. Um, but they kind of talk about trust with Apple users. And they kind of quoted two things up front. They quoted like Apple's kind of um sketchy dodge with not just saying like this keyboard design is more reliable, which is mm. clearly what it's about. And then it kind of goes into, you know, this particular um gate, I guess you'd call it. For me, as someone who's shipped software and has worked on dev teams, this is such, it's so easy for me to imagine this happening. I'm willing to give Apple a pass. I mean, Simone, how many games have you seen with serious bugs that are fixed in the first week. All I mean, of that's them. happened. All of them. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that this happened with a high-profile uh, Apple device is certainly a bigger, like, order of magnitude. But, you know, I think Apple does get held to double standards on this. So I'm more willing to let that go. But I think Verge really brings up this question of, like, trust with users, and you know, this is the second big scandal for a MacBook that honestly should have shipped a year ago. So, I mean, how do you feel about this, Simone? Do you think Apple has a trust problem at this point? It's. I'm thinking about that question now that you've raised it, and it. I definitely. I also give them a, a pass for this because software bugs happen, but this is such a quite a a big and silly one like the last thing i can think that is kind of on this level was antenna gate happening because like Um, the the keyboard thing they tried to sweep that under the rug for so long it was kind of like a slow boiling scandal that i don't think ever reached truly a boiling point um in in terms of like the wider world but the antenna thing did um, um th- this is definitely smaller than the antenna thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I think it I mean, they I mean, it I mean, so I mean well sure, but I mean the antenna thing they had to have a separate event. Like That's they had true. to literally That's have true. a separate event to address it and yeah, no the antenna thing was I think probably the biggest thing that I can remember at least in kind of the modern Apple era of Apple ever facing. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe Bendgate, maybe Bendgate on the phones, but again oh, that was Bendgate. basically people. Oh. But, but but that but but that was mitigated in part because it was basically just much of it was just going into stores and bending phones. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like yeah, it yeah. wasn't. I, I think that it, if it had happened at the time that it launched, I think maybe the touch disease or the fact that they had to replace so many of the batteries could have been a thing. But again, they handled that adequately, adequately well. I think Bin, uh, Bingate was big, but but AntennaGate was the biggest. But this was definitely, I think, for the for their core users. Mm-hmm. Um, a common a culmination. I think that people responded so vociferously and so angrily because of um, what you call it. Uh, be- because of what you said, Bree, that there might be kind of a brewing trust issue. Like, yeah, I, and that's I, I, kind of because they've had uh, 
this confusion over who they're making products for with the the delay of the new Mac Pro, with the specs of the new MacBooks, with the the keyboard thing, not not so much about who they're making products for, but with that one just like making something that doesn't have a very basic technical flaw. So I do think that those two things together, the the question about who they're making products for and then the basic technical flaws that have been happening with these the these latest models. I do think that that has kind of fomented a sort of maybe not total distrust, but a healthy skepticism of what is happening over there. The machines that we could maybe previously assume to be solid Maybe we have to look much harder at them when they are first released. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to be critical and skeptical of of a new machine, especially um, one that is as long awaited as this MacBook Pro refresh. Um, So, yeah. Do you know what it feels like to me, Simone? Yeah, I'm not about to say the following is like a dig at you two. We've covered that enough on this show. But I, I talk to Frank about this a lot. Like he's a big rock and roll fan and you too. And if you look at popular music today, like hip hop has utterly dethroned it. And I really I love to sit there and think about how that happened. Because like in the eighties and nineties, like rock and roll was the predominant, you know, like form of music. And I think it like it it really slowly became something that didn't have something to say. It wasn't pushing boundaries. It didn't really want to be the biggest, best, most important thing in the world. And that's kind of how I feel about the MacBook. You know, it used to be that Apple was willing to really, really push the innovation and the boundaries with the MacBook Pro. And it just has not felt like that for a really long time. I mean, the most innovative thing they've done lately is the touch bar, which I think The Verge is <laughs> utterly accurate when it says it's a solution in search of a problem. You know, what I want to see from Apple is really pushing the boundaries of what they're doing with their MacBooks. I want to see them re- re- release one with a reverse like laptop flip design with Apple Pencil. Maybe it's going to suck, but I want to see them be willing to try that and fail. I want to see them like look at releasing a new 17-inch MacBook. You know, we, there's a motherboard piece we were reading that critiques Apple uh, laptops for being uh, pursuing thinness to the point of you know, of course these thermal failings happen. Mm-hmm. Like, can't Apple get really ambitious and try to release like a new 17-inch MacBook that's all screen for video editors? I mean, where's that Apple that's willing to really push the boundary with the Mac and take chances? I just, I, I feel like it's just slowly being replaced by something else, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, although I don't agree with the U2 analogy. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, like why thinness to me has never been an exciting part of the machine. Um, really? Clearly well, it is I, one of their priorities, but... Well, I think that, that you might be in a slight, and I, and I don't mean to in any way like make this like an uh, a, because like, I'm a video ageist. person. No, no, because you don't remember maybe what it was like before laptops were under five pounds, and that was the that was the the, the, the way yes. that they worked. 
Yes. Um, because, for instance, so when I was in college, my my laptop before I moved to Mac, I had a, a 16.1 inch uh, Sony VAIO that had like a, a 16 something by, you know, 1200 screen. Um, and it was beautiful. And it was very thin. It was like a little over an, an inch thick, which in those days was about as thin as you could get. Um, and it weighed mm, eight pounds. Um, and if you had, if you took this, if you took the the, the DVD uh, uh, CDRW CDRW drive out of it, and you put a second battery in, and that would be the only way you could get it to last more than a couple of hours, because you know to power that big screen and, and the other components, um, it would weigh more. And then the power brick itself was like a pound and a half. Yep. So you were talking about like on my back to take my my laptop to school. You know, I had like you know ten pounds added in addition to my, my college textbooks and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, it was kind of a revelation when, uh, the iBook first came out and oh, then, yeah. um, and, and then honestly the, the first titanium power books and then the, the, the MacBook, the black and the white MacBook and the MacBook pro, like they were kind of a revelation and that you had these really powerful machines in these sizes that were, were not gargantuan and that they didn't have these huge power bricks. And so I think that for a long time, the push to be smaller and lighter actually made sense, right? Because the MacBook Air is a great example. It kind of reached this point where um, our friend Glenn Fleischman threw the first one that he had that he was given as a review unit. He accidentally threw it away because it was in a pile of newspapers and he put it out with the newspapers and it was taken out. Like he didn't realize. <laughs> I mean, you know, th- this was a device they, you know, that Steve Jobs pulled out of a uh, out of a Manila envelope at MacWorld, and and the, you know, and now it's become the the de facto, you know, image of what every ultrabook since then has been based on. And so it's sometimes I think that we maybe like take that a little bit for granted that there the reason that we had this push to thinness was because if you've ever had a laptop that weighs more than five pounds, you know that it gets to the point where it's a pain in the ass and it hurts your back and it's it's yeah. not ideal. And so, I mean, I think I would argue there's probably um, a, a, a middle ground. Like we don't have to be as thin as we are. It could be a millimeter or two thicker if that would allow for better uh, thermal, um, if that would about, uh, allow for more, powder, uh, for more battery, if that would allow for more key travel. I think that would be great. I think the same argument could be made for phones. But I think that the the original reason why we got to the point of like you know thinness and 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 lightweightness um, mm-hmm. shouldn't be diminished because they've been very very important. That is a very that's some very good historical context. Yeah, yeah. Can I also say one more thing yeah, on that, not. Christina? I always have found um, there's a certain kind of tech person. Uh, tech guy that will be like, oh, it doesn't matter. I just carry this bigger, more powerful machine around. <laughs> yeah, I've always felt like there's a, a slight unconscious sexism component to that for yeah. two reasons. The first is if I am looking professional to go somewhere, to give a presentation, give a speech, whatever, I can't carry around a giant nylon LL Bean backpack like half the engineers in San Francisco. It just doesn't it doesn't work with what I have to wear to look professional. The other thing is like I'm I it's heavy and it it it, it I I like get strained muscles if like I'm lifting a giant laptop around all day. So I I think that like part of the move to thin and light, I also think this is part of why a lot more women like have computers today than you know, like 
we did when I was in high school. You know, it's much more of a ubiquitous thing today. So I don't think that's like unimportant at all. Mm -hmm. No, no, not. I mean, again, like when I was in college, I was I'm, I'm small now. I was smaller then. And so it was not um, a small, it, it was not a, a minor thing carrying around such a bulky, well, it wasn't bulky, it was thin, it was beautiful. I named her Carrie. She was wonderful. <laughs> but carrying around, but carrying around that, that massive, beautiful Sony bio that weighed a ton and also literally left because it was so hot. Um, discolored my uh, my thighs be- and uh it took like <laughs> oh my two God. years no it took like two years for the all the skin to like regrow and for that for the burn that i gave myself to go away that I, is like, a gosh. nightmare uh yeah i couldn't wear shorts because it was high up in my thighs and showed but anyway but yeah <laughs> i think i think that's a good point too brie um but but i do feel like you know the that um, in the the motherboard piece they they make some good points about this quest for thinness and what i would say it's not just Apple. Obviously, Apple leads the industry and, and everyone else pretty much follows them. And that's what makes this, you know, I think a, a larger problem is that Apple will, will make a, a decision to say, well, we want everything to be thin and be this size. And so everyone else follows suit. And so they make the same types of trade-offs. Um, Apple is not the only company that was having, you know, it had some throttling issues and had some issues with this particular CPU. The 15-inch the uh, Dell XPS has had throttling issues as well that, that customers have been complaining about. Obviously, it doesn't get the kind of attention because it's Dell. And um, uh, some people might say that that's unfair. I say, you know, frankly, I'm glad that the Apple thing got as much attention as it did because that means it got fixed. Um, and, and hopefully Dell will be able to, you know, fix their stuff too if, if there is a, a, a software um, way that they can fix it. But these are these are issues that are just kind of realities that we have to face because you're at a certain point, you have these super powerful chips and you don't have enough power draw and you don't have enough, you know, thermal to get them to, you know, achieve peak performance unless you're willing to get like one of those alienwares that are like 10 pounds. And if you do that, that's great, but that completely ruins portability. And at that point you might as well be looking at like, well, why am I not just having a desktop, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of peak performance, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by our friends at Hover. That means you know what time it is. It's time for me to look up domains. I love it. Building your online identity has never been more important. And with Hover, you find the domain that shows the world who you are and what you are passionate about. What am I passionate about? (laughs) C-Mac rocks. (sighs) Oh, my God. I could have C-MacRocks.com. For twelve ninety nine, Christina. That's pretty oh my good. gosh, that's, that's really good. Awesome. Oh my god, no! Oh my I could have cmac.rocks for thirteen. <gasps> that's even better. Okay, that is I kind of better. I, I kind of feel like I have to buy that now. Um, want me to send you the link to the search? <laughs> yes, please do. Please do. <laughs> All right, I'm just typing it to you right now. Okay, normal TLDs like .com, like .net, like .org, but also great ones like .rocks and dot space and dot soy uh, and dot w and 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 dot wtf dot wtf <laughs> so i i i always get a kick out of doing these searches when when they're Brianna sponsoring the show dot wtf i kind of <laughs> like that um, i kind of like I, that. that energy in the world <laughs> i actually own christina dot wtf uh for the oh, record that's really good oh my gosh it? 
So, okay, well, okay, so, Christine, are you planning, uh, what what are you planning to do with cmac.rocks? I think that might be a good, like, portfolio site. Yeah. Oh, oh like my a- God, that would be perfect. So, obviously, having a domain is a huge part of your online identity. Uh, for example, briannawu.wtf could be very <laughs> bad in the yes. hands of someone else. Or it could be really wonderful in the hands of Brianna Wu. <laughs> uh, so th- that's, uh, I-, I think, it- it's great to be conscious of what's out there and also great to have fun with URLs. It doesn't just need to be name.com. Of course, I do have name.com. Also very important. Get that. Get all of them. What's stopping you? Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Don't, don't, don't let um, someone like Martin Screlly buy your domain name out of spite. Like, honestly, as, as inexpensive as they are, get your own domain if you can. Do it. Yep. The great thing about Hover is that they allow you to keep your domain separate from your hosting, so you never have to get stuck with a hosting service that does not meet your needs. They also have a wonderful, clean user interface and no upsells to interrupt your beautiful browsing and purchasing experience. And importantly, they offer free who is privacy so that the bad guys don't get your information. Even more importantly, they have over 400 domain name extensions to choose from. (laughs) (laughs) But mostly free who is privacy, but also fun domain name extensions. All right. If you want to show the world what you're passionate about, Hover is there to help you make that first step. So go to hover.com slash rocket now and get Rocket, period, now. And get 10% off your first purchase. That is, again, H-O-V-E-R dot com slash rocket. And get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much, Hover, for your support of Rocket and Relay FM. All right. Uh, for topic two today, we're going to discuss some fun Microsoft rumors. And for that, I'm going to ask <laughs> one Christina Warren to leave the room. <laughs> yep, I'm going to leave the Go room. Go away, Christina. Bye, baby. Go away. Okay. So uh, this week there are some exciting rumors that surfaced on Throt and then also on The Verge about Microsoft's next console plans. Yes. So clearly there will someday be a new Xbox that we'll have to say hello to. Uh, but also secondary to that, there is discussion about there being a second piece of hardware that they that Microsoft will offer that will essentially be a streaming box so you can stream games and the hardware would handle the processing things it, it would okay it would handle controller input <laughs> image processing and collision detect- detection yeah, which is the important point very yeah. important uh, to essentially make it so that the latency would be reduced enough so that people would be able to stream such such intensive games on a console uh these are rumors but throat is a very it's a very uh, reputable source so we are going to discuss them today brie what did you think about this well yes amount they've been trying this for a really long time in the game industry have you ever like signed up for this on playstation like playstation now before have you ever tried this i have not actually used playstation now okay so just in case listeners don't know this uh playstation now is uh 
basically, Sony bought this service. I think it was on live. They tried it for a Mac for a while. I could be mistaken. It was basically a game streaming service. And what they did is they, they got a lot of the greatest hits of the PS3. Uh, and they even did some of it with PS2 and then put it where you could play it on PS4, which is a really big deal because the architecture between the Xbox 360 and the Xbox One is relatively similar. Like it's both the X86, but between PS3 and PS4, it's like completely different architecture. Mm -hmm. It's a, a Motorola processor to X86. So this was actually the only way Sony could really easily make you able to play their back library without running it through a translation wrapper or something like that. If you've ever done it, um, the experience isn't great. That the, is the, kind of what yeah. I had heard about other game streaming services, specifically yeah. the ones that have tried to do Netflix for games in the past, yeah. that it was just yeah. that the, the they didn't have the the server power, the architecture needed to make that a fun experience. Well, it's a ton of stuff, right? Like it's the the delay is not great on it. The latency isn't great. The games themselves look like it's like you're looking at it through a dirty glass. Oh God. Like it's just a little. And I'm not just to be honest with you. I'm not sure if I hadn't played some of these games to the degree that I had that I would notice. Mm -hmm. But it's it's definitely there. And the other thing is like DLC is frequently not available. So like you can't even get like core expansions after it goes mm -hmm. through. So I, I'm saying a lot of negative stuff here, but I think overall this is a very, if it is true, I think it's a very interesting play by Microsoft because, um, you know, let's face it, all the momentum in our industry, it's on the phone, and I think it's increasingly with Switch. So mm -hmm. the ability to have kind of a low-cost uh, bundle of games, I think if they manage to execute it well, I think this could be very appealing. But what do you I think? Have, I have one question for you, and that is, yeah. do you think, with just the knowledge that you have, that it is technically possible? Because this would just this would not just be games that are offered on the like on PlayStation now, like older games. It would be going forward, all games that would be available on the regular Xbox. Well, this is what this is what gives me concern about that, Simone. So uh, do you remember when they announced the Xbox One and they started talking about how you'll be able to uh, load your game instantly and then like it would finish installing mm -hmm, and while you're be able playing to play it. that? So that's a great feature, but in order for that to work, like devs have to work with Microsoft on a special level about what gets installed when and when you can access it. The reality of this that I've seen, and I'd love to know if your experience matches mine, is you get a game, you install it, you start playing it, and you get to go to the welcome screen and then wait while the game installs just like normal because developers are not going to go through and implement that. It's very so, sneaky. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 a good feature if everybody agrees to it. Yep. So what I like about this is it does make sense if like you can load collision detection in a certain number of things like right there on the console that will reduce latency. Mm -hmm. That could help with a lot of these games, um, but only if everyone does it. 
and I just don't see oh, that happening. So there would have to be yeah. some kind of the developer would be responsible for making that separate download of of those details that would run on the console. Is that essentially? Yeah, I mean, it? they. Well, I mean, I'd have to guess. I'm guessing about implementation, mm-hmm. but they can't. Like Xbox can't figure out collision detection without the not, help yeah. of the developer. That could be a million different things. Are you talking about hitbox to fall out of the whole like yeah. level, like your Z axis? Are you talking about like hitboxes <laughs> in a fighting game? Is it a safe zone? Yeah, they can't know what's what. So obviously, you're going to have to work with the developer on that. Mm-hmm. That said, I think this is a really um, exciting idea. And I do think that there needs to be like, you know, I want to see, I want to, when I talk to voters and I talk about my history of working in the game industry mm-hmm. and I talk to kids, it's always iPhone. It's yeah. always iPhone and sometimes switch and 3DS. It's never Sony and Xbox. And I think like an a la carte service I, I think that could be very good for the longevity of the game industry, if that makes sense. That's kind of, that's an interesting, uh, that, that's something I've been tossing around as I think about this. Because I think on paper, uh, if it functions, I'm like, yes, this is great. My question going into this is what the revenue model is going to look like. Because they do, uh, or at least in these pieces, um they've described like Xbox game Pass as quote unquote Netflix for video games. And so I guess my question is how, if we are paying for a subscription service to play games, how are the developers then paid? Is, am I paying? I, I, I think the deal is according to the verge piece that it will basically lessen this upfront cost that we pay to plonk, you know, $60 down on a game and then, see how that is it's going to mitigate that somewhat which is obviously great for consumers but my question is what that's going to do to developers and how how their revenue will basically be determined by this service which obviously i don't have answers to yet because this is just a rumor well i can say that uh, I, I'm not going to give you the names of the developers I know that have worked with uh, you know, PlayStation uh, Plus, which is their like pay $100 a year to have access to our multiplayer network and then get some free games. I've talked to developers that you know have done that with Sony and what the experience has been like financially for them. Uh, sometimes it's been good. Sometimes it's been really unfair and a bad situation for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're basically getting paid all up front for Sony to have the right to give your game away to as many people as they want, which, you know, depending on what kind of game you have, that can be very good or very bad. So, um, it, it's a great question, Simone. I mean, for that matter, like uh, a lot of people on Netflix, they're in the library, don't get a lot of revenue from it either. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, um, you know, it's a crapshoot. Yeah. I mean, just game, game value is already such a contentious issue. I feel like it's, it's somewhat different from films, which are still, I mean, can be blockbusters in the box office or, or indie darlings or et cetera. Like, I I guess I don't edit. I don't know. I, I I don't. I don't think I know enough about the film industry <laughs> to speak to the differences between game development and film production. But it 
does feel, I think, that we kind of take for granted the the money that goes into making a film, but there's still so much mystery about what goes into making a game and the obscene hours that people have to work. And then how much is that actually worth at the end of the day when I'm paying, you know, $20 for it on discount two months later. Anyway. um, So I'm interested in that. I'm also, I thought you might be interested in this tidbit from the verge piece as well, uh, which says the servers that Microsoft is building to deal with this load uh, will initially launch with developers in mind to build and develop games in the cloud instead of local debug machines. Yeah. Interesting. I I think it's interesting. It sounds like an implementation nightmare <laughs> sure personally, does. but but I mean, you know, it's uh the truth is like, you know, uh, Christina works with a lot of great people on the Azure team. There's a lot of fascinating stuff going on over there. It's technically feasible. The The real question for Microsoft and the Xbox team is, can they work closely enough with developers to make it worth their time? Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line. So I would love to see them succeed. On a personal level, what I want to see from uh, the next Xbox and PS4, I'm not looking for prettier graphics. I want that in like Switch form. I want the Switch, yep. but a PS4. I wonder That's if the Switch is going to change. So, I mean, I don't know. Xbox has really built a brand, and PS4 also to a lesser extent, on just being able to play these beautiful, beautiful games that are hyper-realistic. Yeah. I don't know if they can walk that back at this point. Yeah, you're probably right. It's uh, I would love but, that. You know, but... The reason I play my Switch the most is because it's always with me. You mm-hmm. know, there it is. I guess if there were a mobile version of it, because Xbox also has so many great indie games, or at least they always have that wonderful Xbox, Indies at Xbox trailer at E3 every year. Like those are the kinds yeah. of things, obviously, that would be great to see or great to have in a, a portable form. Um, Well, I also think it's worth saying, a lot of the major game engines, something we've excelled at in the game industry over the last 20 years, has been engine scaling. mm -hmm. I mean, World of Warcraft is a perfect example of this. If you look at World of Warcraft, uh, you know, it's it's a bit dated at this point, but World of Warcraft at its heyday would run on many different machines. It would just add different effects to it, depending on how powerful it is. When you look at the, the Scorpio version of the Xbox, it's essentially working with a lot of engine scaling to give you better versions of a lot of these games. And like, you know, Far Cry Engine, Frostbite, you know, every big game company has their own proprietary engine at this point. So could they work with PlayStation and Xbox enough to like do a scaled down version of these games that would work in a mobile mm. platform? That's honestly no less feasible than games in Azure that's honestly no less feasible than like collision detection. It's a pain in the butt, but it's certainly possible. Yeah. Well, we will be keeping an eye on this for sure. Obviously I will, (laughs) since it is part of my job. It's interesting. Yeah. All right. Let's see if we can find Christina again so that I can tell her about fracture. Christina, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. I'm trying to find a way to, uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. Christina, you're back. Do you want to know about Fracture? I do. I think that I that's why you, you came back, so that I can tell <laughs> you about it. <laughs> Honestly, I do, and because because Kevin obviously used them to great effect, and I want to hear about other things that I we can do with Fracture. I can't believe we accidentally... I really jumped the gun on this, y'all. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Fracture. 
It's the company that can take your favorite images and print them directly onto glass for you to display in your home. And that's exactly what Kevin on Twitter did. And I did. I just looked at the pretty picture. I didn't read the tweet until we were recording. I thought, oh, these are lovely pictures. And then I read the tweet and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Fracture is sponsoring this show and totally unrelated. Here is a wonderful fan who has printed the logo of our podcast using the great service provided by <laughs> Fracture. <laughs> oh my goodness. So Fractures are handmade in Gainesville, Florida from U.S. source materials. And they have a sleek, frameless design that goes with any decor. For example, you could print one podcast logo and then pair it with several other podcast logos. And one podcast logo might look way better than the others, but they hmm. will all go with your decor. That podcast logo is Rockets. But you don't have to print that specific podcast logo. You could print, say, a picture of us that you found on the internet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> best friends. Or, or anything. A picture of your own family. Ordering is very simple, and fractures come ready to display straight out of the box. Yes, they include a wall hanger. That is how painless that is. No last-minute tragic runs to the hardware store buying yet another box of tiny, tiny nails to pound into my wall and then forget that I bought so that I go buy another box the next time I need to hang something, forgetting that I already have so many tiny nails. Don't even think about it. You won't have too many tiny nails anymore. Fracture. They're a green company operating a carbon neutral factory, which they lovingly refer to as their fractory. <laughs> I love it so much. That's fantastic. Saving the freaking planet. Wow. So if you if you were to get a fracture, Christina, what would it be of? Taylor Swift. That's fair. <laughs> did you get any good pics of her during your concert? I did, and I I, I need to find some of them because I took photos. What happened was, uh, obviously, internet was busted, so I wasn't able mm. to put as many things on my Insta story as I wanted to. But yeah, no, I, I definitely got some. Yeah, but yeah, Taylor Swift, would, for sure. Um, wow. I was thinking my husband. Like, you know, Taylor Swift. I'm same thing. Well. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. like, I love my husband, but Taylor Swift is, yeah. is Taylor Swift. And she's, yeah. she's prettier. I mean, it, it's true. <laughs> Unfortunate, but true. Mm. So, Brie, you would get a picture of Frank. Wonderful uh, or picture my of Frank. Dog. Or your dogs. I don't know. Again, or my car. Same thing. I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. That was weird. <laughs> 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 Fracture Leave prints. In. Leave it in. Yeah. Yep. Are a great addition to any home. So, if you're friends and family that you want to get a gift for, uh, for example, the apology that I will get for Frank for the thing that I said about <laughs> him. He's wonderful. Um, and think about all those photos that you have on your phone that you could rescue and print and put on your walls instead of them being lost to time. You can go to Fracture me.com slash rocket to get started and see how sleek those fractures look. So again, I'm going to read that out. It is fractureme.com, F-R-A-C-T-U-R-E-M-E.com slash rocket. Open it right up and get 15% off your first order. Thank you so much, Fracture, for your support of Rocket and Relay FM.
That was a fun one. Let's do something sick. You, know, you know what I was thinking? Of? The first thing when Kevin like shows a picture of that, it had so much relay artwork on it. Yes. I was thinking, I was imagining like Mike Curley seeing that tweet and being like, someone using our artwork without legal permission, sue that man. And like sending an army of lawyers oh, after no. it. Like, no. No, it would be awesome. If, like there were a mirror, mirror universe. Mike Hurley, take him stuff out, like that. Take him out. <laughs> <laughs> Mike goes and charges them again. He doesn't let him use the fifteen percent. Oh no! Oh no, Kevin! You could have gotten the fifteen percent discount. I hope that he listens to another podcast. Oh no, Kevin! I'm so sorry. Uh, honestly, like, 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 fr- like, like, Fractor, it, it, we're obviously sending him like a giant rocket thing yeah. with their digital signatures, and that's right. gonna be amazing. Yep. But like, they should send him something because that tweet went like way bigger than I thought it would, entirely because of us, and not at all because of Max Temkin. Right? Uh, right. You know, had nothing, exactly. It had nothing to do with with enemy of the show, Max Temkin. Nothing. Uh, but uh, it, was, it was all had to be the <laughs> rocket effect. But yeah, but seriously, like that's some, that's some awesome dedication to. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like, I I love it. I love it so much. It's awesome. All right, Uh, time for some unfun. Let's talk about some controversy. (laughs) For our dessert topic this week, we're doing something not desserty at all. Uh, So James Gunn this week was targeted basically by an alt-right campaign that dug back into his Twitter history, spearheaded by Mike Cernovich, um, actual enemy of the show, uh, in general, all yeah. around mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. alt-right commentator, bad, bad, toxic person, um, dug through James Gunn's Twitter history, dug up actually some extremely terrible jokes that Gunn had made, which is not the first time that these jokes have been surfaced, because they were surfaced when Gunn was first hired to direct Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and at that point, he had apologized for them. Uh, this time, it did not happen that way. Uh, Cernovich brought these back up. There was a large storm in the alt-right sphere, and Disney actually fired James Gunn from directing Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which is terrifying. Um, yeah, so this, this has been kind of a, a contentious story because... Unlike some other stories, I think it's a little more complex than the internet discourse is used to dealing with because the initial jokes from Gunn, which were made uh, 10 years ago, are quite bad. Very bad. Oh, yeah. Well, yes, that, yes. And then what happened recently this week was also quite very bad and obviously not a an in good faith complaint about that content but rather a very targeted campaign against an individual um who had spoken up against the president uh in the past and had been an enemy of the alt-right online sphere so in in fact the first time that those tweets were brought up uh and Gun apologized for them. It was uh, left-leaning people who were upset about that content and did not <laughs> did not appreciate it and were concerned about James Gunn directing Guardians. Um, 
And yeah. that was the point at which he apologized for it. And Disney allowed him to stay on. So there's there, there's a lot to, to dig into here. And I know, Brie, you have a billion things to say about this. Well, it took a lot of heat because I stood by him. You know, I, you know, for a politician running for office, it is very risky to say, I stand by this person that made jokes about pedophilia, right? Like, that's a risky stance. But... I did it for several reasons. And before I say that, I want to say I'm not a huge Guardians of the Galaxy fan out of all the Marvel properties. Like, I think it's most frat housey. I have no issue with you if you like it. I understand why so many, like, geeky men love this, like, property. It's made for you. Enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just, it's not my thing. So I'm not coming at this as someone who particularly likes the work. But what... I don't like is dishonesty and right. the people pretending to be outraged about these jokes coming from Mike Cernovich of all people <laughs> who has said in not joking, some of the most horrible things you could possibly imagine about rape and consent and about race and about women for him to feign outrage over this. Let's just call this what it really is. It's revenge. It's weaponized Mm -hmm. revenge against people with a different political point of view than him. And a really false equivalency that I've seen all week from people is they're like, well, how is this any different than Roseanne, right? And the difference is this. What Roseanne said was actually racist. What Roseanne said was racist, and racism actually harms people. Yet James Gunn is not an actual pedophile. As far as anyone knows, like there's there's no reason to believe that. So it's it's like a difference in it's it's just not the same at all. But the really big thing here is are we going to allow people acting under such phony, like obvious bad faith, destroy the like careers of artists? Because if you want someone to be able to make a Guardians of the Galaxy movie or all kinds of geek properties. If you want people that have never made an offensive joke before, you're not going to be able to hire anyone. And that's just the truth. So, yeah, it's it's complicated because it does give them this kind of perfect smoke screen because when somebody does something like Roseanne say something in the current time actively harmful, people get upset about it and that has consequences. But the thing is that the consequences for this already happened for James Gunn right. years ago. And he apologized and doesn't make this content anymore, which I, of course, in no way support. But, like, that is that is what the difference is. Well, and I also think even beyond, you know, that what Rosanne said was racist and the what that, that he's not a pedophile. I mean, I, I agree with that. But I think the bigger thing is that, A, he'd apologized and those were statements that he'd made in the past. Whereas... The statements she mm-hmm. said were happening now. But it does um, offer the perfect ideological smokescreen, which is well, yes. actually what they're using if, if well, in conversations well, yes. on 4chan where they're saying, okay, left-wing people yell at us when we make these jokes, therefore we're going to pull that too. Well, one, what she was saying wasn't a joke. Um, True. Uh, you know, uh, two... Um, you could make the argument that just as uh, James Gunn had a history that I think Disney knew about 
and that, that was that was not hidden, you know, that people had complained about before that he'd had to address before. Now we can debate whether he really, you know, how, how you know, honest he's being and contrite or whatever. I don't really know. I that that's that's beside the point. Roseanne also had a significant history on her blog, on Twitter, on, you know, um, uh, uh, some of her, you know, like radio type of things, you know, well before the Roseanne reboot of being the way that that she then came out to be. And that was actually one of the things that people had kind of said, which was like, you know, Disney knew what they were getting into when when they hired her and, and rebooted the show to begin with. And so, you know, her her state her her comments after, you know, this had already happened, which then kind of went to another level was on top of this past history. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this case, we don't have anything from him since probably 2011. Uh, maybe 2012 of, 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 you know, problematic stuff and certainly none of the, 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 the pedophilia type of stuff. And so um, it, it, to me, that's, that's kind of the thing is, is you're saying, you know, uh, she was continuing to exhibit that behavior, whereas he'd apologized for it and, and wasn't doing that sort of thing anymore. So I think that makes a difference too. I do think though, even though I agree ultimately with what you're saying, Brie, I do feel like this is a difficult issue because I tend to be somebody who is much more of kind of a a free speech absolutist in a lot of ways. And so I obviously am very bothered by anyone losing their job for things that had been kind of public record before, weren't kind of dug up, that that, that were known, and and that were especially done in in the way that this was done, which, as you said, was completely and and, and totally done, you know, um, uh, out of revenge and, and and was done under a guise of one thing when it was really about something else. And so I think the disingenuity um, of of the the campaign, that bothers me too. That said, I, I do feel like there have been so many examples in our history as a culture where we don't have statutes of limitations about when someone's past can be used against them to be mm-hmm. for, for them to either face to face blowback, to face critique, whether that means losing their job, whether that means, you know, um, having to, you know, make apologies, whether whatever that means mean, you know, like we have so many instances on the left and the right of that, that I'm, I'm, I feel like in, in some ways, you know, Roseanne's the most recent thing. So people want to draw those analogies, but there are lots and lots of examples of, of times where as a society, we've said there's not a statute of limitations on when the things that you've done in the past can be used against you if, 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 if it's dug up after the fact. So I'm kind of, I don't know, I feel slightly uncomfortable almost wanting to be like, almost because I have seen so many people on the left, frankly, because this unfortunately has become a political issue, use that to their, mm-hmm. to their own advantage. Um, Ron Paul's a great example. Um, things that he wrote in the 80s were, were brought up during his campaign. There are lots and lots of examples of, of this happening that aren't out of, you know, the the auspices of, of, a con- of, of a concentrated campaign the way this was. I think these circumstances make this instance different. But I think that I'm okay as a society, even though I'm very much a fan of free speech, I'm equally okay saying that if your, that your past words can't have, you know, consequences. I, I think where I'm mostly bothered with this is that because he had already apologized before, because this had been dug up before, Disney was aware of this. This wasn't as if this was new to them. And I feel like the reaction was one that was done to, you know, um, maybe seem open-minded or fair uh, or even healed in, in light of the Roseanne decision rather than actually you know, um, being the correct consequence for, for what the actions were. 
I don't know. It, it's 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 complicated because I feel like how this was done was gross. But on a larger, more macro level, I can't deny the fact that many people will and have been, um, you know, um, hurt because of very dumb things, jokes or otherwise, that they've said coming back, you know, um, to uh, uh, bet, bet back into the public. Yeah, I, I, I don't see anything wrong necessarily with that that check-in that happens when you find like someone has said something terrible like hey do you still stand by that because if you do ooh, bad look buddy but like you said this was a thing where disney was absolutely aware of it and what they keeled to was like gamergate's bastard child campaign right uh, which to me i i think is the only difference, because I, I I do agree that I think we have kind of a a problem, which I I first became conscious of when uh what God what was his name John um presidential candidate uh John, John Edwards John, John Kerry when he was like dragged through the coals for quote unquote flip flopping on the Iraq War and I yeah. I remember being like but he he changed his mind. That's that's what that is. Like I, I'm not. I was, you know, a teen, so I'm not totally up and up on the political nuances no, no, of that you're time. Right, but it's you're like right. we don't. Totally. We 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 see someone say something, and then we pin that moment in time, and we don't allow that person to change. Um, and I do think that that is a broader problem. Ideally, the example that we would be discussing right now isn't someone's horrible pedophilia jokes. It would be like climate change or something right. like that that somebody had changed their mind on um but it's not it's not the situation we have to deal with um but yes free i know you want to say something at, yeah at some point as a society and everything you just said was dead on so i could not agree more but at some point as a society we are going to have to have a real conversation about forgiveness because i'm going to tell you this for every single alt-right person that's out there participating in this mess, your past is going to be used against you in the exact same way. And frankly, the only reason I haven't faced this stuff is because Facebook didn't exist when I was a teenager. Because I've said and thought horrible things that are like a normal part of developing and figuring out how to be a decent person. We're going to have to have a conversation about forgiveness at some point. Because let's be really honest here. A Guardians of the Galaxy movie that's going to be great is really going to resonate by with an audience. That's going to need the kind of person that has struggled and grown in this way. Like the, the entire plot arc of Guardians of Galaxy is Peter Gunn going from man-child to... Yeah, not uh, Peter Quill, sorry. You know, him going from man-child to realizing things are bigger than him and more important and learning to fight for it. If you're looking for artists that have never said anything terrible, if you're looking for politicians that have only had pure thoughts, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get guarded, phony people that have been thinking about making themselves into a product since they were teenagers and are not genuine. Yeah, I mean, look, I agree that you can go and 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 I'm definitely included in this. You can go through anybody's past and find 
things that they've said that that are um, you know that, that that would cause people concern. Like I used to joke, there was I was I did a I was part of a documentary that. I hope never sees the light of day when I was 17 <laughs> years old. And when things in that happened, I said, and now I'm never going to be able to be president. Um, not that I ever thought that I could be, but I was just like, oh, this is going to come out and I will never be, you know what I mean? Like, I was just mm-hmm. like, well, there goes my political career um, before, you know, it's even potentially started. If, if, if this sort of, you know, thing of, of me being, you know, uh, a, a drunken idiot ever, ever gets out. And in retrospect, just seeing how much discourse and how much things have changed, it's actually funny because it's not even a big deal. But and I, I agree with what you're saying, Bree. The only thing I'm, I'm willing to push back on a little bit is that I do feel like the things that he said and that he wrote and that he like played off of, although definitely things were used and, and I think they're being used in the most egregious way possible and, and they're being used in the most disingenuous way possible, were really, really terrible. And yeah. that's that's where my conflict in this is. And that's the only reason I haven't publicly said anything about it. Because on the one hand, I'm really bothered, frankly, by by anybody, uh, by things that are taken out of context, whether regardless of what political uh, aisle you're on being taken out of context and any sort of concentrated campaign to get someone to lose their job. I'm bothered by it. And I'm bothered by by speech being used in that way. Uh, but the content of what he said was also terrible. And yeah. that, I, I feel like in some cases, has kind of been glossed over a little bit. And, and the misogyny that was there is is, is terrible. And it, it it's not one of those things where you can say, oh, he was super young. It's like, mm-hmm. no, dude was, was like, like 40. 40. Yeah. yeah, dude was 40. Like, dude, like, had already made, you know... It, you know, like uh, Jenna Fisher and he had already been divorced. You know what I mean? Like the whole thing, like he'd, he'd already made movies. Like he'd already had like, it's not that. Like he was very clearly going for a certain type of thing. And, and honestly, some of that is a product of time. And, and it is a product of how the internet has changed. And I, I kind of said the same thing. You know, like I was very uncomfortable with what happened to Quinn Norton when we talked about that with the New York Times, especially the context that that was taken out of. That's the example of the left actually going after itself, right? And, yep. and, and, and taking things, in my opinion, like not in the right context and, and, and really forcing behavior. But, but, but that's just a, you know, but... So we, we see both of these things, and I, I'm 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 uncomfortable with all of it, but I do feel like it's just I don't know like what makes it hard for me to to outwardly stand up and be like oh no he should be reinstated is the fact that you know the things that he said and the behavior he exhibited was really gross yeah and uh, that said my my personal take on that is okay well that's the moment like when Disney hired him four years ago that was probably the moment or five years ago that was probably the moment that they should have been you know, evaluating those things. Yeah. Um, not it, it, it almost doesn't seem to, uh, right. Which Mike Stern, which, which is, which is kind of the same way I felt about the, the, the Quinn Norton stuff, which is like the New York times obviously knew the time yeah. to make a decision was when they hired her, yeah. not when the mob comes after you. Yeah. That's the thing, right. Is do your due diligence and be prepared to handle that. Especially if you're a company with as much power as Disney, like, you you made that bed. You get to lie in it. Um, any Aren't final thoughts? All of you just exhausted with the I'm outrage. I'm absolutely though? exhausted. Aren't you exhausted. I can't tr- keep track of who I should be mad at for what I on know. a daily basis. Mike Cernovich always. No, I'm with you. I'm, I'm <sighs> with you. And 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 I feel like ultimately, like I think that what makes this really dangerous in a lot of ways is that this is the sort of thing where it it was kind of using the playbook of you know what what frankly, you know, more left-leaning people have done um, against them, so to, against us, so to speak. And, you know, if, if anything come out of this, maybe it's that regardless of your political affiliations, we take things 
a little bit less seriously in terms of with outrage stuff. We'd be outraged about the things that genuinely matter and not immediately as soon as something happens to someone. Like this happened with Trevor Noah, even like when he was hired, I remember everybody started going through his tweets to find the worst things he'd ever said oh, or yeah. joked about. And and um, and I wrote a thing. I remember at Mashable all the time. I hadn't remembered this until I'm having this conversation, which was how to delete all your embarrassing tweets oh, that for when you get famous. Oh, that was going to be my final thought. Yes. Let's, okay. Everyone should delete all of their tweets. No joke. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. No joke. Yeah, no yeah. joke. Be, yeah. Without a doubt. Honestly, if, if, if anything high profile or whatever ever happens to you, you need to like... I, like, I'll be honest, when I got hired at Microsoft, I did a very, like, elaborate search to see everything I'd ever written about the company to see if I needed to delete anything. Surprisingly, I actually didn't. Uh, but uh, but that was certainly something after I was hired. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no, I need to do this because someone's going to look through and try to, you know, if I've made some if I made some sort of comment, you know, use this against me, so, even though it would be 10 years removed. I am putting a link to uh, what I think we consider the best Twitter archive eraser in the show notes. So if it's been a couple years since you've deleted your tweets, go ahead and do that. Um, and you can also set it up, I believe, to delete to just purge your tweets every month. Um, yep. And I don't think that there's any reason not to do that for anyone. Um, well, for me, it's oh, hard. Oh, for you, it's different because you're a political well, candidate. Well, things I yes. say are often linked to as stories in like important publications. So I try to, I think about that before I break something. So yes, yeah. same, same. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and also me, like I, I understand people who do that. Like I, I'm fairly comfortable for the most part with with keeping you know my archive out there. But I also I also have a fairly good sense. I think about you know most of the things that I've said. That said, I think that like you don't have to go like full bore. I think that's fine if you do. But uh, I think it's also equally fine to just use an advanced search if you don't want to use the tweet deleter. Find the stuff that the jokes that you made that maybe don't hold up so well from ten years ago. You know, and remove them because that's your right. Like yep. you, they, there's no reason they have to be made public or they have to still continue to exist. Mm-hmm. Especially if you've had your Twitter since high school or college and oh, you haven't God. done that. Yeah. D- definitely purge everything from college down. And start over. Yeah. Please. <laughs> Good story, Christina. I will, I'm putting that in the show notes as well. Christina's story yeah, about no, I, deleting your tweets is in the show notes now. Uh, yeah. That, that was three years ago. So some of those tools don't work anymore, but, but the thing that Simone puts in there, like the definitive one will, but uh, yeah, that was uh, the sentiment is real. I, but I remember writing that one because uh, that it had come up because of the Trevor Noah thing. And I was like, why do celebrities, why do famous people not delete their bad tweets? Um, and and honestly, I, I'm a little surprised. And it's certainly this whole instance, it's not James Gunn's fault in terms of how it's all ended. But I am a bit surprised that after they came up the first time, like, yeah, why, why, why didn't, didn't you delete, delete his then? friggin' tweets? What a doof. All right. Hey, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Eero. The folks at Eero build the Wi-Fi that they wish they had in their own homes. A fast, reliable connection in every room and the backyard, too. Yeah! The new second-generation Eero includes a third 5 gigahertz radio, making it twice as fast as before. So whatever your Wi-Fi needs are, Eero is ready to blanket your entire home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi. It just sits flat on any surface, plug it into the wall with the included power adapter, and you are ready to connect your Eero either with Ethernet or wirelessly. And the included third radio means that you can now connect to low-power devices like locks, doorbells, and more. They also have a tiny Eero beacon 
which you just need to plug into a wall and expand coverage into any room. So you don't have Yay. to move to <laughs> a different part of the house just because you're trying to, like, watch some Fortnite streams. Don't live that life. Watch internet wherever you want. Having one router does not necessarily work anymore. So check out Euro, and you will be able, you will have seamless, beautiful, fast internet throughout your home. You both have Eero in your homes. How do you feel? I think it's the best product on the market by miles. Like nothing else is even close to it. Uh, it's easy to use. Uh, your entire account is tied into your iPhone account. So, you know, if you uh, want to sign into it, it's locked into that, uh, which is good for security. Um, it, uh, it has an additional thing. Like if you're a parent, uh, you can sign up for parental controls on your internet access. That's obviously something that's important. Uh, and for me, what's most important is the speed. Like it has uh, such a drastically faster speed than the Apple product. This just, it's a no brainer getting this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's also like, it's easy to set up. Um, there are a lot of these mesh systems and um, I, I did kind of a, a review of, of all of them and, and the Eero is the fastest to set up. There are some that that aren't true mesh that can be technically a little bit faster, but the, the um, amount of work you have to go through to set them up is on another level. So what used to be so great about the airports was that that was the, the router you could you could tell your parents or a less tech savvy, you know, loved one or, or, or friend to buy. And now those aren't, you know, uh, around anymore and they hadn't been updated in years anyway. And, and I think this is like the, the genuine successor um, and, and very, very good speeds, um, lots of updates, um, good quality product for sure. Nice. Well, if you are interested in Eero, there's no need to wait. You can get free overnight shipping to the U.S. or Canada by visiting Eero.com. Um, selecting over overnight shipping and then entering the offer code ROCKET to make it free. So that is, again, Eero, E-E-R-O dot com with the promo code ROCKET for free overnight shipping. Get it immediately. Get it now. Thank you so much, Eero, for your support of ROCKET and Relay FM. Brianna Wu, what are you up to this week? Uh, let's see. I am shooting a story with the New York Times uh, two days from now. Continuing to canvas. We are shooting an ad for my campaign this weekend. And uh, I am working little by little on my project to turn the Boxster into the Danger One. And I showed you all my room full of car parts at my house for that. I am so excited for that. I, you make me want to do like a big craft project like that. Yeah, I don't it's going to be awesome. <laughs> you know, if you have $8,000, you can buy this literally exact same car. Everyone thinks it's expensive and it's not. Perfect. Christina, what about you? What are you doing? I am uh, I am working uh, on stuff with work, and I've got a busy week next week because I'm going to be um, doing things um, our, our um, biannual uh, uh, or biyearly, whatever it's twice a year um, uh, CDA summit is next week, and that's exciting. But I'm also going to be going to New York for um, a Write Speak Code, a conference um, uh, uh, focused on uh, women um, uh, software uh, uh, developer types. Uh, 
to better write, speak, and code. So I've got a lot of stuff going on, but um, um, and I'm also uh, trying to keep cool because it is so incredibly hot in Seattle so right sorry. now. Sorry, I'm so sorry. All right. Well, this week I am going to the Overwatch League finals, which I'm super excited about. Uh, yeah, <gasps> Are London you? Oh versus my God. Philly, I believe it is. Woohoo. Yeah. Um, Simone. Wow. I'm just watching it, man. I'm just having Oh, a- you're watching it. Are you going to it? Um, I am not. I, I was going to cover it, but I decided oh. not to. Uh, so other people are covering it for Polygon. I'm just there to have fun. <laughs> Got it. Oh my yes. gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's here in New York. So I'm it's right in my backyard and I'm very, very excited to just relax and watch some very, very good Overwatch players kick butt. Uh that's pretty much what I'm doing this week. So you could cosplay a really good widowmaker. I if wish you I I to. wish I just had that outfit just lying around. <laughs> Christina, where can we find you online? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. And you can find the videos that I do at work at youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. All right, Brianna, what about you? Uh, you can find me at um, Space Cat Cal on the Twitter machine. And if you want to support my campaign for Congress, you can go to supportbrianna.com. Heyo. And you can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar and at youtube.com slash polygon. And I also did a very, very fun, silly stream this week at twitch.tv slash polygon if you want to check that out. Uh, and of course, you can find me on the show Rocket every Lay FM. And you can also find that show on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Uh, and you can review it, which is super cool and makes people happy. You can also share it with your friends who are confused about their feelings about James Gunn, or maybe they just want some dirt on the new MacBook Pro. Whatever they they want, we've got that specific thing for them. All right, everyone. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.